Hearing that energetic music one more time here. Last Sunday of our Emerge series. I hope you are ready to go today. You ready to go? Welcome on this Memorial Day. I'm so glad you're here on the, or Memorial Day is tomorrow on this Memorial Day weekend. I want to welcome those that are joining online, wherever you are watching from. I hope you're enjoying. Maybe you hear the beach in the background. You're with family. Hey, let us know where you are, where you're watching from, who you're with. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, just type it in the comments. Hey, and if you guys are here, go ahead, share it. Let other people know what's, uh, what's happening in the room. It is, uh, like I said, Memorial Day weekend. I want to thank those of you who have served on our behalf, and of course, those of you who have lost loved ones, or maybe remembering those that have given uh, just this amazing sacrifice of their life for us. We are extremely grateful. We get to worship on a Sunday morning in this country, the freedoms that we have to share our faith, to broadcast it online, to talk about God's goodness, to center our lives in him is truly a gift, and I'm so grateful for that. And uh, speaking, uh, by the way, of of freedoms and whatnot, uh, I'll let you know that beginning next Sunday, we are removing our mask requirement and the social distancing that's here, so I better hear you worship next week, uh, especially, again, those of you who have been vaccinated, it's up to the rest of you what you want to do if you've not been vaccinated, but uh, in our... In our gatherings, we're going to uh, take that step forward. Uh, but in our children's areas, we are going to still continue with, with masks just because we know kids are uh, not able to be vaccinated yet. So we'll keep you posted on any changes there. But uh, as we gather here in worship, we will be able to do that. And so I expect to hear you next week. Even online, I expect to hear you singing from your house, listening into what we're singing along with what we're doing. Um, So as we're talking about this series, Emerge, we've been in it for a lot of weeks. We're talking about coming out of this pandemic and how do we want to emerge stronger, better, ready to tackle what God has for us. Not just going back to old ways and old things, but really seeing this as an opportunity for God to do something new. And it does feel like, doesn't like we're climbing out of it. We're starting to reach uh, the top of that. And as I was thinking about climbing and and what it feels like to kind of climb out of something, I couldn't help but think of back in the day when our youngest, Anaya, she's 10 now, when she was, I don't know, maybe about a year and a half old before she started walking. I I never remember what ages that happens, but she was still a crawler and a climber. and, And she would just, if it was in front of her, she would climb it. And so one of the first things we'd see is she would climb up on the piano bench. But the piano bench wasn't enough. She'd have to climb up on the keys. So thankfully we'd heard her, hear, you know, hear her crawling across the keys and get her down. One time we caught her on top of the piano, right? Uh, you know, on the top where you keep the pictures. If she could go up, she would climb up. We, so much so we had to take rope. We literally did this. We took rope and tied our kitchen table chairs to the kitchen table so she could not pull them out because she would always pull them out and climb up, and then we'd find her up on the table. I think we did watch her, but we did have three other kids that we also had to watch. But, um, but one time I wanted to experiment to see just how much she would climb. So I took one of our kitchen chairs, I undid the ropes, put one chair on top of the kitchen table, and she, sure enough, pulled out a kitchen chair, climbed on the chair, from the chair on the table, and yes, from the table onto the chair on top of it. I was there, I was there watching her, she was safe, but she would just climb. If she could climb, she did it. Just climb for climbing's sake. But same thing here. We don't just want to climb for climbing's sake. We don't just want to come out of this, just to come out of it and just to, to not think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Climbing is good, but it needs to have a purpose. It needs to have a direction. This famous quote that maybe you've heard uh, before from Thomas Merton. People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find, once they've reached the top, that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. How true is that? How many of you, how many of us, we spend our whole life and we think it's gonna be found in, in, in dollar signs. We think it's gonna be found in position or in power or in recognition or in a corner office or in a 401k. We think it's gonna be found in these places and we climb and we climb and we get there and realize 
This wall is not holding up what I thought it needed to be. How detrimental to stand up there and look and go, I should have been climbing a different wall. We wanna talk today about the walls that we're building and the walls that we're climbing and what is it that we're trying to accomplish as we wrap up the series. And so today I wanna talk about living out the vision. How do we live out the vision? So, so pop quiz, I'm gonna make it real easy on you. Who have we been talking about these last uh, eight weeks here at Meadow Park? What's his name? Nehemiah, good, so you make it real easy. You all get a chance on this if you've been here before. And what is he building? A wall, right? Okay, you got this by now, right? So we've been following this vision, but the significance of the wall and what it means. So he began, you know, we began this whole journey of just the brokenness that he experienced from these walls that have been torn down for 150 years. And how that it's often our brokenness that births a vision in our lives, in your life. When something's finally broken, you say, something's gotta be different. I wanna see a change, I, something's gotta be done, and God births that in you, and so it did in Nehemiah. And he came with a plan, he knew what the problem was, what the solution was. He took great risks and gathered the resources to go and go to a distant place to go rebuild that wall. There he rallied the people, get each of them to take a section of the wall, to work together, to build, to roll up their sleeves. And during that time, what did he face? Tons of opposition, right? Opposition from enemies from outside. Challenges that came to him personally, challenges that came from among his own people, and yet he persisted, and the people persisted week after week, day after day. Remember what he said? I can't come down, I can't be distracted, I'm engaged in what? A great work. He's focused, and he gets the people focused, they accomplish it, they build the wall, they complete it, and it's awesome. And we talked about last week too, the spiritual awakening that took place. That there was confession as they heard the word of God, and they realized they needed to come back to their spiritual foundations. And so today, as we look at this last chapter and as we talk about living out the vision, we're gonna look at what happens in this last section uh, of Nehemiah in chapters 12 and 13. What happens is they dedicate this wall now and they dedicate themselves, and how do they begin to live out that life? And then Nehemiah leaves for a period of time and comes back, and what does he find? And he's surprised by what he finds. So as we talk about living out the vision, let me just put it in our context as well. It's one thing to start a vision. It's another to pursue it, it's another to accomplish it, but it's a whole other thing to live it out. My niece is getting married in, in, a, in a couple of weeks and she's gonna have her, her wedding day and go, great, that's the vision, I wanna get married and we're gonna do that, but is that the end? No, now you've gotta actually like live out what it means to be married, right? Like that's the deal. You know, maybe those of you who've graduated high school or, or college, good job, you've reached that milestone, that was a vision that you had, but now? Now you gotta live out your life. You gotta either earn the income or you gotta go to college, take the next step or get your job, whatever that is. We have so many different areas. You know, finally you get this job you've coveted for so long, you've wanted it, you went after it, you got it. Great. Now you gotta live it out. Now you gotta pursue what God has for you. You became a follower of Jesus Christ and you said, you know, I'm gonna, I, I repented of my sins and I realized I needed God as, uh, in my life. I believe in Jesus Christ that he died for me and I confessed my sins to him. And I prayed, Lord, save me, and he did. And, and he gave me a new birth in my spirit. And then I was baptized and now I'm good. Check, see you later. Why are you guys here? Why are you here? Because we realize it's about living out our faith. It's not enough just to say we've reached a certain point. It's about how do we do this day in, day out and how do we go the distance? And the reality is, as we'll see, it's hard to stay true and to stay committed, and we all struggle and fall, and, and we're gonna learn from the story some things about what it takes to live out the vision in us. So let's go into these last two chapters, uh, looking at Nehemiah chapter 12, and it's now time for the wall. Again, it's been completed. The people work together. Now is the special time of dedication. 
where they're gonna dedicate this wall to the Lord and to um, its purpose. So, Nehemiah 12, 27. For the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist in the ceremonies. So just to pause, who were the Levites that were invited to come in? The Levites were one of the 12 tribes. Now, the Levites did not get their own land in the promised land. They did not get a section of land because they were the descendants of Aaron. And as the descendants of Aaron, they were responsible for the priestly duties. So that meant this entire tribe, they were there to take care of the temple, to take care of worship, to take care of the sacrifices, to do the music and, and play the instruments and sing the songs and help the people focus their attention and devotion on God. And so the Levites were asked to come to Jerusalem from all over and assist in the ceremonies. Then it says this, they were to take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers were brought together from the region around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nephetites. And they also came from Beth Gilgal and the rural areas near these two places. For the singers had built their own settlements. I do it too, don't worry. Um, for the singers had built their own settlements around Jerusalem. So what's happening here is the first Woodstock was taking place, okay? You had all, all these encampments. They're coming in from all over the place. They're setting up their tents, and there's little, you know, fires going up, and they're sitting there with their, their long hair and their guitars and their lyres and their cymbals, and they're, like, making music. And it's like, this is exciting, you know? We're here together to celebrate. This is their gifts. These are their talents. These are the creatives. And they're coming together to celebrate. And so when the day comes and the time comes, Nehemiah now assembles them to, to dedicate the wall. And they have some ceremonies that are going to take place. And the way they design this, the way they're going to do this is, is we're going to assemble two massive choirs. Lots of people. It doesn't say how many, but just think about all these people that came together. Two massive choirs with bands. Remember, they don't have amplification. They don't have sound systems. But they're going to make it loud and exciting. And so they take these two choirs. Nehemiah says, I'll take one, and he gives the, and Ezra takes the other, he's the prophet, and they lead these choirs in opposite directions around the top of the city walls. So imagine, and people from all over are hearing this going on outside the walls, you know, some of the enemies and the others that have opposed it, people living inside the walls, and there's just this music going up, and there's celebration and symbols and dancing and, and joyful occasion. And as they walk around these, march around the whole wall, dedicating, saying every part of this we're dedicating. Then they make their way and they go to the temple and they finish their celebrations at the temple. And so this is what we're seeing here. And then when they get there here, it just describes uh, in verse 43 a little bit more. It says, many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day. For God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration. And the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. What a great day. When you accomplish something, when you pursue something, and, and, and you've set out to do it, and you reach that goal, you celebrate. And I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes if you're too future-oriented, it's easy just like you set a goal, you go for it, you reach it, and it's like, all right, done, what's next? Or you're already looking at the next thing. It's so important to slow down, to stop, to pause, to celebrate. Even like last week when we did the, you know, the run to fight human trafficking, free to run, we do the little, just take some pictures, share some videos, share what's going on. Like, let's not just move on to the next thing. Like, something happened in that moment. Let's celebrate what God is doing. And this, of course, was a huge occasion. And so they celebrated. And they dedicated the wall. What does it mean to dedicate something? You know, if somebody says, I dedicate this song to somebody, or you dedicate a building, or you plant a tree and it's dedicated, you honor somebody. You dedicate it for that purpose. 
And so they dedicated the walls. I mean, just walls protecting a city, but it was dedicated to God. This was to honor him. And so they marched on top and they walked around them. It's like, I'm sure when, when this uh, you know, worship center was completed and built back in 1984, that first Sunday must have been quite a celebration here, right? A dedication. Anyone here when that took place on that day? All right, two, two, three, four, five. See, see some of you still are still around, or at least in, the, in those early years, some of you guys were here. But I know, I don't even have to ask. That's what happened. I just know, because the church built something, there's a celebration. And we didn't dedicate this to say, let this place be a place where great theater can take place and great concerts can happen and comedians can come and perform and, and musical recitals. Some of that stuff may have happened here. But what was this dedicated to? To the worship of God. Space and place and what we do in those places makes a difference. So they dedicated the wall. This was to God's glory, to God's honor. But they didn't just dedicate the wall. They dedicated themselves. They purified themselves. They made a commitment on their behalf. They're saying, we are committing ourselves to the work of God and to what he has called us to. And they made these commitments. We heard last week again that the word of God was read and they repented. And, but then in these chapters we read there were three specific commitments that they made in the dedication of themselves and what now the city and these walls were gonna help them do. And so these are the three things that they committed to. The first is this, take care of the temple and the worship. They committed themselves to take care of the temple and the worship. What did that mean? It was, we're gonna commit our resources. They brought in the tithes. They brought in the, the offerings. They brought all these pieces together to fill the storerooms, it says, so that the Levites and the priests that, that came from the Levites, that they could do what they were called to do and what they were supposed to do within the temple. And so they committed themselves, we're gonna keep the temple worship happening daily and, and the sacrifices and those who are supposed to attend to that, we're gonna commit the resources to make that happen. That was gonna be at the center of who they were and so that all the people could serve in that function. The second was this, so um, the worship of the temple, the second was protect and honor the Sabbath. Protect and honor the Sabbath. They were the first original Chick-fil-A right here, okay? It was like, we are not gonna work on the Sabbath. This is what, this is what you know, this is what uh, True Kathy does, right, on, on, on Sundays. We're not gonna work on that day. And so um, this was not just like a business practice. This was for them to share with people all around that, why is the city of Jerusalem quiet on the Sabbath? Why are they not working around the clock? Well, these people, they trust God to provide on, the, on this day. They, they rest, they worship on that day. God is their renewal, they made that commitment. And then the third was this, they committed um, to, uh, to not intermarry, that they would not intermarry with, um, with the pagans, with those that didn't believe in God, those that didn't have the same God, that they said, we're, gonna, we're not going to do that, we're not gonna dilute um, the faith and the religion through the next generations, we are gonna hold up as the people of God committed to God, and this was their commitment. As we see all throughout scripture, the commitment and the, and the dedication of people. In the Old Testament, right, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it said, we're gonna teach these truths to our children and we're gonna pass it on. We're gonna let them know we're dedicating ourselves to this. In the New Testament, we also read about a dedication of the early church in Acts chapter two. What did they dedicate, commit themselves to? Acts 2, 42. All the believers, here it says, they devoted themselves, right? That's a commitment. To what? To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. We're gonna get together, we're gonna be the church, we're gonna ground ourselves in God's word. These are our commitments. 
And we have commitments today as a church when we preach, when we teach, and what is it that, that you, you know, us as pastors, what do we desire for our churches? Make worship a weekly priority. Make this a central part of the rhythm of your life. Be committed in your finances to support the mission and the cause, and thank you for allowing the current day Levites, I guess that would be me, and worship singers and leaders and, and, and pastors to lead the church. Thank you that I don't have to be out in the fields working, that this is what I get to do. These are commitments that we make, commitment to one another, to be involved in a, in a group, to connect with some others so that you can support one another. Commitment to being in God's word, to get into God's word and to say, I'm gonna study that and be about that. Commitment to say, we're gonna serve, we're gonna use our gifts. Is that a lot of commitments? That's a lot of commitments, but that's what we do. When we baptize here on a Sunday after somebody has been you know, given their life to Christ, we, we give them a T-shirt. You know what it says on the T-shirt? What does it say on the T-shirt? All in. Why does it say all in? Because baptism is a full submersion, every part of me, from head to toe. God, it's all to you. I commit everything I am to you. I am all in. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So these are the dedications. This is what, what, what is always being done as we follow God and try to live that out. And this is what the people did. And so they made these commitments, and things were going awesome. It was a new day in Jerusalem. I think about that, I mean, just the excitement that was there, the spiritual recommitment. And now, you know, on, on a Sabbath day, it was quiet, and people worshiped and honored God, and, and the storehouse, you know, was full, and the Levites and the, the priests, they were, you know, doing daily, offering daily sacrifices at the temple. There was worship, and there was music going on. And, and families were raising their children to know and to love God, and the kids were growing up, understanding their foundations. This was what was happening in Jerusalem. Then at some point we read that Nehemiah had to go back to Susa, where, he, where the, the palace was from King Artaxerxes. So he goes back to Susa, and we don't know exactly when he went or when he, um, you know, what date or how long he was gone, but we do know when he did come back, it was 12 years later from when, when the wall was, was finished. So you can imagine Nehemiah going back home. The, the, the king needed him. He did what he was, you know, wanted to do, and he had to feel pretty good. I mean, this is like a vision accomplished, something we've been looking to do and just the hope that he had in that. And so then he's gone for some time and then we read that he was able to go back. I don't know if he requested to go back or if they called him back, but here was his first chance to come back to Jerusalem. And so he makes this long journey and he's making his way back and I can imagine that, you know, what he's thinking about and wondering what he's gonna see, just like the first time that he came. And then I'm guessing he came to a point, maybe there was a hill, and he kind of got to the top of the hill, and he could see the city in the distance. Have you ever done that? You know, you're driving somewhere, and you see the skyline of a city. Uh, yesterday, we were in Detroit for the day, and, and we were coming up I-75, and the beautiful factories were all there south of town, and we come up over the, the bridge, and there's the skyline, the Renaissance Center, and I grew up in Detroit. It's, bring, it's nostalgic. The Motor City, right? I know I'm in Ohio. Why are you guys so down on Michigan? You drive cars, don't you? Show some love, man, show some respect. No. So we got the Motor City, right? I mean, it's there, but it brings back memories. It brings back different thoughts of, of, of growing up and, and you know, the university that I went to. And so Nehemiah's coming back and, and he's thinking like, oh wow, there's the city, look at it. Compared to the last time I came, when the walls were broken down and the charred rubble, and look at those walls, those are beautiful. And maybe he sees the temple, the tallest building, there weren't, you know, probably a lot of you know, high rises weren't around. And he's just admiring and probably have some really good feelings about that. He gets closer, and he sees the, the gates and how beautiful they are and all the gates that had been put in and the ornate you know, craftsmanship that was there. 
But it doesn't take long, and uh, his hopes are crushed by what he sees happening behind the walls. He gets in there, and what he's seeing is a people that were adrift. He goes to the center of town and where the temple is, and what does he see? He sees the temple is being neglected. He's, a, he's not seeing the worship that's supposed to be taking place. The people that he would have expected to be there aren't there. He goes inside the temple, and he can't believe what he sees. The storeroom, the storehouse, where all the, the, the tithes and the offerings and the sacrifices were brought was given to Tobiah. Now, if you've been around for the last several weeks, you might recognize Tobiah. He was one of his enemies. He was one of the ones who tried to stop the building. And ultimately, because of um, his background, he was not even allowed to be in the temple. And yet, the high priest gave him this room. And what did he do? There was no, st- and so none of, the, none of the offerings were being brought in. The storeroom was empty. And the people, the Levites, they were back out on the fields. They were out working and complaining like, we can't dedicate ourselves to the temple because there's not the resources to do that. So the very heart of their community, the worship in the temple they committed to was now being neglected. Then the Sabbath rolls around. And instead of people honoring and worshiping God on that day and respecting the Sabbath, people are buying and selling all along the city walls and the gates. They just completely abandoned this practice that was going to set them apart, that was gonna be an example to honoring God. And then he walks through the town and he's hearing and he's seeing some of these young couples and he's seeing some of the children that are there and these children are speaking different languages and they're ignoring the temple and they don't know anything about their faith and he's realizing that the people have have broken this vow and they have now intermarried with other religions and and, and and they're not carrying on that tradition in the next generation and he recognized this was one of the downfalls even for Solomon who built the great first temple. So that led me to the question as I'm thinking about this, why is dedication so difficult to maintain? Why is it so hard to sometimes follow through on the commitments that we've made in different areas of our life? Maybe in marriages, in relationships, in family, in yes, in our faith. It's hard. It's hard. It's one thing to accomplish a vision, to be motivated and to make those commitments, but then to live those out and to follow those through is difficult. One of the great old hymns that's been around for a long time, one of the best lines that I think, it's a tough line, but one that I always relate to, comes from the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It was written by Robert Robinson, and he was one who had grown up in the faith, but had drifted away and had wandered from the faith. And when he came back and he found his faith, he wrote the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And the line in there that always grabs me is, prone to wander Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Isn't that an odd line to be sung in churches throughout the generations? But to acknowledge, God, we're prone to wander. There's a, there's a proneness in us to drift, to go astray, to be tempted by other things, to, be, to take our eyes off where we're going. And he writes this, this line in that song, Lord, bind my wandering heart to thee. Bind my heart, connect my heart. The sad part of the story is that even Robert Robinson, after writing the song, coming back once again, drifted away from his faith. He lost his way and and went astray in that way, spiritually. And at one point, he was confronted again with somebody singing that song, a woman that he had met. She didn't know that he had written it, but she was singing it, and it brought back to him all of these feelings, all of these emotions, his commitment, how far he went away, and he once again, even through his own song, and that reminder brought himself back to come and connect with God. But we are all 
prone to wander. That's a commonality, a challenge that we all have. So the question is, how did Nehemiah respond? What did Nehemiah do when he heard all this? Now we saw, we've seen Nehemiah through weeks now, we've followed him, he's, he's not just a pushover, right? He's not somebody who's just gonna like kinda go, I'd like to say something, but I don't know if I should. You know what he does? He lays the smack down. He lays the smack down. Something ain't right, we gotta do something about it. Now we live in a culture where we're not allowed to do that. Now, if I preach sermons that are, that are strong and that are challenging and people are always like, oh, pastor, give me another, you know, like we needed that. But if I would say it to you one-on-one, ooh, why well, we don't want anyone telling us what we need to do. We don't want to know when we're off track, but it takes bold leadership. Seeing a vision take hold takes bold leadership from beginning to end. In your own life, wherever you're at, it's not just starting the journey. It's not just pushing through the hard pieces, but to continue to carry it through takes bold leadership in your own life, for yourself, in whatever situation you're in. Look what Nehemiah does. So in these three scenarios, that the commitments that they had made, the three commitments they had broken, and here's how he responds to those who neglected the temple and the Levites and the priests. Nehemiah 13, 11, and 12. I immediately confronted the leaders and I demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. People, You've neglected the financial commitments that you have made to put the temple, to put God first, to bring your tithe. Does this ring true today? Anyone? Don't raise your hand. But I know it's most of you. Stop it. Get back to your commitments. He confronted the leaders first. It's time to get the leaders back to do what we are called to do to support the temple. There should not be a budget crisis. There should not be a challenge because of the commitment you've made, the temple and the worship and what we do, and and I think we can draw the parallels to today. It's important what is done and to hold on to this commitment. To those working and doing business on the Sabbath, who are neglecting the Sabbath, he walks around, he sees them selling on that day, he says this in verse 21, but I spoke sharply to them and said, what are you doing out here, camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath to sell and do their things. He didn't mess around. Stop, stop neglecting the commitments you've made. If I don't see you worshiping on a Sunday, we're gonna come and arrest you. <laughs> but, I mean, he's, he's boldly declaring. You, he, he's calling them to commitments that they themselves had made and commitments according to God's word. But he reserved his most unique treatment to those who intermarried with those of other religions. Verse 25. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. I quoted this verse to my daughters this last week. (laughs) He didn't mess around. I know this isn't popular in our culture. How can you read that in church? How can you say that? I mean, people can marry whoever they want. Of course they can marry whoever they want. But is this what's God honoring? Maybe you're a young person, you're thinking about marrying somebody, you've committed your life to Christ, you're on this found, building your life on this foundation, but he's such a nice guy. He's so good and kind to people. I mean, he's got great morals. Does he believe in Jesus? Well, I mean, 
He doesn't mind, you know, going to church. Don't marry him. Don't marry him. Faith, if it's central in your life, if it's the foundation in which you orient all of who you are and what you do, and you're gonna marry somebody who does not hold that foundation, just be prepared for a challenge for the rest of your life, perhaps. Not missionary dating. I'll just keep, you know, missionary days, I'm gonna date them until I lead them to Christ or until I lead her to Christ. You gotta make your choice, but I'm speaking very plainly and clearly because what happens is we live in a culture where it's okay, there are many paths to God. And they do, you know, they believe in, in that thing and I do this thing. No, then you don't understand your own faith. You hold to what's true and you carry that on from generation to generation. That's why we have a children's ministry and a student ministry and why families are to worship together and to understand these truths and to pass them on from generation to generation. Because if it's true, which those of us who put our faith in Christ say it's true, then we gotta hold to that and we gotta protect that and honor that. It's an important, important principle here. Nehemiah wasn't just mean. Well, he was kind of mean. He pulled some hair out. But he got his point across. He was principled. He's calling it out. Where have we drifted from God's way? Now, we don't want to get into legalism. We don't want to get into the, you know, the church police. <laughs> we don't want to get into, like, following every, you messed up here and there. That's, that's not what this is about. But what we're seeing here is more had to happen. Just following the letter of the law, just making these commitments, if the transformation didn't happen on the inside, what, what, what good was it? What was the point of religion or social reform in the culture or politics or government? Those aren't the answer if there isn't transformation on the inside. So as we're talking about this whole series of emerge, what does it mean to emerge? It's not about rebuilding our lives with walls that will only fall again, but about building a strong inter, internal spiritual wall and community that honors God. It's not about what we do out here. There is important things about that and we definitely can honor God with our work out here, but ultimately, the more important work is what happens within and what God is doing in us. So think about, let's, let's fast forward the clock now. So we've got this amazing city, these new walls, the temple's there. Now let's fast forward about 400 years to Jesus walking around those same walls with his disciples. And the temple, you know, had been in worship, you know, being part of worship for all those years. The city walls have been expanded and, and modified even during that time. But the disciples and Jesus, they're walking around the wall. They're looking at it, maybe like Nehemiah did one day. And we read about this in Mark 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones and the walls. I mean, this was something to behold. We've all seen beautiful architecture and, and amazing buildings, and it's, it's, it's beautiful what people can do and accomplish, and, and it was awesome. But Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings. He doesn't deny that they're not great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, some of you guys are going, we came here for eight weeks listening to this series about building a magnificent wall and what this is all about here, building this wall to honor God, and then you end it with Jesus saying, we're gonna destroy this wall. What is it? Are we singing about lifting up the walls, building, tearing down the walls? I'm so confused, right? But Jesus said, the walls are coming down. They're gonna be destroyed. These magnificent things you see, even as they've been rebuilt, they will be brought down, and they have been brought down, and they've not been rebuilt. And what's going on? 
What's happening in this place? What's Jesus talking about? And then he has the audacity to say, in three days, I will rebuild the temple. In three days, what does he mean? He's not gonna physically rebuild the temple. He's talking about a new reality, a spiritual reality, something that is happening. He's not talking about man-made structures where we find our hope, where we find our security, earthly kingdoms, a religion that isolates or separates and, and walls itself off from others. That's not what he was talking about. He's talking about building on a foundation that lasts. So, as we emerge, let me ask you, what walls are you building that will only crumble again? What a, what a waste of time, right? What a disappointment that would be to say we have a chance at a new beginning, but I just went right back and built the same wall that I found was empty and meaningless. What, what are we building on? It's only gonna crumble. It's only gonna fall. This church will not stand at some point in the future. Somebody will tear it down and build something else or a bigger church or condominiums or, I don't know, maybe the Scioto will flood us over. I, I don't know, it's not gonna stand here forever. Even, and, and now that's not saying that buildings, again, and place and space aren't important. It is places where we worship, but what is it ultimately about? And what are you building in your own life? What walls are you leaning your ladder against? What is foundation is that? Well, I wanna talk about here this new temple, this new foundation. How do you live out the vision in you? Not just about, again, out there, the wall, the temple, the priest, the intermarrying. How how does that transform us in here? So the first thing in in regards to this is God's temple is in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? See, this is the new day. This is the new reality. The temple isn't about the temple. It's about the temple in us. The spirit of God is in us, every single one of us right here that has the Spirit of God, that has given their lives to Christ, that has the Holy Spirit alive in them, you are that temple. It's not important to rebuild another temple for this purpose, it's in us. It's the vision, it's the, it's the transformation inside. Christ is at home in our hearts. Another reality is that we are a community of priests. That might sound kinda weird today, but we're a community of priests, 1 Peter 2, 5. And you are the are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Priests stood between the people and God and God and the people and were in this mediation role. And he says, you know what, congratulations. If you have the spirit of God in you, you are a priest. Feels really weird, but say it. I'm a priest. Yeah, now you know how weird it feels when I have to go around in public saying I'm a pastor. And people are like, oh, what's wrong with you? I'm a priest. Say it, I'm a priest, you're priests. You have access to God, you intervene on God. You are called with a mission and a purpose to be a priest to the world, to intercede on God's behalf for the world around you, to show them who God is. You do that, you are commissioned on that. That's not reserved for pastors and for me and for leaders, it's for all of us. We are his holy priests. And then we see another new reality in this foundation to live it out. We are a new people, we are the church. It's not about a city within walls and one space and place in this time. It is the spiritual community of the church that is the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, that we are the community that God has called to be a light to the nations. And Galatians 3.28 says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a new community 
That when people see the, people, the diversity of what is here in our presence, in our midst, and, and how we form together as a body, that is the testimony. Not what happens inside the walls of a city, but how we live that out each and every day. And speaking of, of walls and this wonderful wall of Jerusalem, even in Psalm 18 in the Old Testament, our hope isn't in a, in a wall. Our hope is in the Lord. Listen, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. Do you see all these things that in the Old Testament were, were symbols, were, were models, were examples of, of, of a physical way of relating and, and shining that out? God even then was trying to transform internally a, a different foundation. And today we are those people. We are the temple. We are the priests. We are that community that shines that out. It was ultimately never about a wall representing God to the world, but a people representing God to the world. If you think, you know, Meadow Park's my church because there's a building on Bethel, that's one way we represent to the community. But it's you and me. It's us. It's what we represent to the world, that we represent people representing God of the world. And so we have to take that ownership. Look at one verse from the Old Testament, one from the New in Isaiah 49, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Even then, you're a light to the nations, not just for yourselves, not just to hold up behind walls, but to be a light. And then in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus in the New Testament, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You're the light. You're the one that shines. So let me ask us this question. How does the world see us? the church emerging in this new day. As they look at us, as they look at me and you, as they see you at your job, at your school, in your neighborhood, when you're with your family, how do they see you emerging in this day? What is it that you're building your life on? What do they see? Do they see a, people in the church that are focused on their personal success? Ooh, pandemic's lifting. Time to get back on with the business and to promote ourselves and to make the money that we need and, and to climb the ladder and do all that, that that's our focus? That's not all bad, there's good things, you have a lot to offer the world, but is that what they see? That's what everyone is trying to do. What do they see? Do they see a church that's hopeful and confident because we no longer have to wear masks if we're vaccinated? Are we hopeful and confident because of a party that's elected or not elected? Are we hopeful and confident because maybe we can get back to work instead of working from home and maybe we can not be remote school anymore? Is that why we're hopeful and confident? Are we hopeful and confident in the home values that are going up? Man, that's what we should be hopeful and confident in. Our retirement, our investments, are those things to be hopeful and confident? If we put our hope and our confidence in that, we're gonna fall short again. I decided like about a three, four weeks ago that I'm gonna just try a little bit on the new Robinhood app, you know, a little, little investing with a, with, with a little bit of money and just see what, see what comes from that. I'll try it out a little bit. Yeah, you know how, how I'm doing after three, four weeks on that? About down only about 25%. You guys wanna, any invest, investing advice, you know, come, come talk to me. Bitcoin, that's where it's at. <laughs> It'll come back, it'll come back. No, but see what happens, I mean, if that's all of our hope, if that's where we put it in, like now is the time, that's where it's gonna happen. No, we're gonna, it's gonna rise, and it's gonna fall, and it's gonna dip, and it's gonna crush us, and then we're gonna be laid. None of those things will last. But, so what are they looking at us for being hopeful and confident about? 
Let it be because we have the Spirit of God living in us, the eternal living Spirit of God that allows us to be joyful in difficulty, joyful in good times, that, 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 that shines a light out to others, that says we know we are safe, we are secure, we are forgiven, we are free, we have hope, we have truth, we can share it widely with anyone, we can invite people to be a part of our community to discover who Jesus is. Let them see that hope that we are a light to the nations, not because of the structures that we are building, but because of what God is doing in each and every one of us. How do you need to emerge? What is the brokenness that you can turn into vision that allows God to do something new in you? And as we've seen throughout this whole series that God takes out of the ashes, out of the brokenness, and he builds something new. But he doesn't just wanna do it out there, he wants to do it in you. And he wants to do it in us. In Meadow Park Church, if we're just trying to get back to the way things were, we're missing what God wants to do in us going forward. And the light that he wants to shine in us today. We build on the past, we look to the future, and we have to figure out what does it mean, what's next, what does it mean in this new day to, to share the hope of Christ? What does it mean to worship together? What does it mean to worship online and to, to share community? And we're walking that path together. But let's not get caught up putting our ladder on a wall that we're gonna look back one day and go, why was I climbing this? Let's build it on the right foundation. Let's build it on Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these amazing truths in your word. This great story of Nehemiah and this whole journey that he went on and the people went on. And, but God, ultimately, you, you are after our hearts and you're after what we build in our hearts on you, God. You are our foundation. Father, if there is anyone here today or listening today that doesn't know what it means to have their lives grounded in you, to know what that freedom is, the hope is to be forgiven, to know of our eternal destiny, to know of our salvation in you. Father, may today be a day of awakening, a day of renewal, a day of finding hope and peace. And Father, I pray for us as a church, as a church body, as Meadow Park Church, as the big C church, God, Christians and believers everywhere, God, that we would shine out in this new day, that our hope isn't on the things that rise and fall, but that we have an eternal hope in you, God, that we would be priests, that we would be a light to the nations wherever we go. God, would you give us that boldness and that courage to be your people wherever you have placed us. We build our lives on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.